the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's why Paul prayed to the church at Ephesus. His prayer was for the church that somehow they could grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. It's long enough that there's no place you can run to outdistance yourself from the love of God. And it's deep enough, no matter who you are, no matter how much engaged in sin you are, His love can reach to the lowest person here today. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. It is recorded in the book of John that Jesus once said, If he is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension are all linked to this glorious exaltation, and it is a call made to the entire world. No class, social status, race, or gender is excluded from this declaration. That is why we lift up the name of Jesus on this program every day. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. I want you to take your Bibles and quickly turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I want to speak on one of the most well-known and familiar chapters in all of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. And today really is God blessing you because it is God's appointed day for you to learn about the greatest word in the Bible, the word love. And he gives us an entire chapter. Now, in your sermon notes, I want you to write this down. There are three words in the Greek language that are translated into our one English word, love. Love, uh, the English uh, language is not as colorful and detailed as the Greek language. The first Greek word is philos, and it means brotherly love. Philos, it's where it's kind of the root word, the word Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And that type of love is a love that two, two friends, two brothers, two sisters, there's a bond between two people. Then the second is eros, which uh, means desire or longing. Uh, it's where we get our word erotic. It is based on uh, physical traits. And then the third is agape. Agape. Everybody say agape. And it means selfless and sacrificial, not impulse generated from our feelings. It's best pictured when Jesus uh, died on the cross. Uh, This love is not always easy. It doesn't always feel good. It's like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where Jesus said to love your enemies. That, That doesn't even seem right. It certainly doesn't feel right. 
But it's the type of love that we're supposed to have. Everything in chapter 13 is uh, describing for us agape love, the type of love uh, that you might not always feel like doing, but it's the love that God has called us to do. Now, there's three major thoughts in this chapter for me. And the first thought is that your spiritual gifts are meaningless without love. And so you have all in chapter 12 talking about tongues and, and healings and miracles and prophecy. And then Paul says this, the last 10 words, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And what he's saying is that spiritual gifts are important. And I want to say that to you again. Spirit, he's not saying they're not important. They are very important. But I want to tell you something that's even more important. And it's love. I want you to look at chapter 13, verse 1. In the context of all these spiritual gifts, he says, If I, Paul, spoke in the tongues of men, and if I even had the ability to speak in the tongues of angels, I could speak angel talk. But if I didn't have love, if I didn't have agape love, he said, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm nothing but, I'm, nothing but noise is coming out of my mouth. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I had the faith to even move mountains, but he said, if I, if I didn't have love, didn't have agape love in my heart, he said, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. I want you to write down that phrase, I am nothing, I gain nothing. And all he's saying is that no matter who you are, uh, whatever gifts you have, uh, whatever abilities you possess, you should be walking, breathing, living love. It's possible for you and I to do all kinds of good things here on earth with the gifts that God has given to us, but there will come a day where we will stand before Almighty God where real value counts, and if what we've done was not done in love, it will be worth nothing. We know in 1 Corinthians 3 that the Bible teaches on the day of judgment everything we've ever done will be tested in the fire. And Paul is simply saying here in the first three verses, you people claim you have all these gifts and really you're just fighting and arguing with one another. If what you're doing is not based in love and founded on love, it's meaningless. It's nothing but noise. Point number two, your actions should mirror or reflect the qualities of love in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. And the very first thing that he says in verse 4, and if you're going to have agape love, he says love is patient and love is kind. You don't really know what he's talking about unless you understand the context. And what is the context? There are people in the worship service randomly just standing up and they basically are hijacking the service and just taking over by exercising some spiritual gift using it not the way it was intended to use in the Bible. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I've read chapter 12 and I've read chapter 14. 
And while that person's standing up, someone over here's standing up. And pretty soon the whole half the church is standing up. Now, there's some people in church that are there for the right reason, the right purpose, and they want to learn from the message, but they're getting all these distractions. It'd be very easy for you to sit there and start to get upset with the people around you. Like that noise right there. <laughs> yeah, I drove all the way to church. I didn't come all the way to church to hear a baby cry. That's not why I came. I came to hear the word. I can't hear the brother. They were sitting right next to me. I can't hear. I can't hear. And Paul is saying, hey, in church, you all got to be patient with one another. All right? And so he says in the church setting, specifically, in the, I think in context, got to be patient with people and patient with circumstances and patience with, uh, with, with uh, situations. And then he says, not just be patient, I'll just sit here and endure it. He says, you got to be kind. And there's nothing as powerful as when someone mistreats you that you're not only patient with that person, but you actually heap kindness on that person. And that's exactly, you see, this is, all, this, is, this is all explaining the love of God. This is what Jesus did. Because on the cross, he had the ability to retaliate, but he was patient with us. He actually said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a great attitude, all right, uh, to the people who actually know it. And when he dies on the cross, when he dies, think about this, in, in the act of death, he's actually being kind to the soldiers who beat him. He's being kind to the people who stripped him of his clothes. He's actually offering salvation to Pilate who sentenced him. And to Peter who denied him. And to people like Judas who betrayed him. So in a church, man, not only be patient with one another. Someone's bugging you and making you upset. Be kind to them. That's that's agape love. I don't feel like, well, that's because you're not practicing agape love. Then verse 4, he says it does not envy. And, and for me, that's the context. Someone's standing over here, and they got these spiritual gifts, and you're sitting here, and you don't have the spiritual gifts. And you look, oh, man, who does that guy think he is? He, I, I, don't, I don't have that guy. I wish I had that gift. And, he, and he's saying, don't be jealous. Have you ever been jealous of somebody who can sing better than you? You ever been jealous of someone who's a better teacher than you, better athlete than you, more hair than you? <laughs> you ever been jealous in a, in a church? He says, no, all the gifts are important. Don't be jealous of one another. And then he says, it does not boast. And uh, that word means brag. Do not brag. That word is the root word for windbag. Someone's bragging. They just got a lot of hot air coming out of their mouth. And bragging is really spewing forth words to make yourself look better than what you actually are. And then he says it is not proud. And pride seems like boasting, but there's a difference between proud, being proud, and being boastful. Boasting is the verbalization of pride. You can be prideful and never say a word, but inside your heart, you just look at someone else, and then you're, you have an attitude. Well, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that person. I'm better than them. That's pride. It's being puffed up. And then he says, it is not rude in verse 5. And that's just someone who just has, uh, you know, uh, having poor manners. You have poor manners. You're a rude person. True love would never desire to be rude. And then he goes, it is not self-seeking. And that's where all of this 
It all comes, if you you have your Bible, you should circle self-seeking because that is the root of all these issues in that church was people were only concerned about themselves, okay? And you should be concerned about God. Can someone say amen to that? God should be the central focus of your life. And whenever you take God off the throne and you put yourself up there, that's not true love. True love, agape love, is keeping God first. Amen? Amen. And then he says, love is not quick-tempered. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is the person who literally keeps a ledger of every time they've been offended. So, uh, you got, if you're going to be married, I want to give you a little secret. You've got to learn how to forgive and forgive. And forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Well, how many times do I have to forgive? Well, the Lord said 70 times 7. I mean, it's a big thing. True love. It's only true love can do that. You know, we like to fight and jar and jab and remember. Yeah, that's not true love. True love, you got to, you know who, you know who people are, the people who are married a long time, people who forgive and forget and move forward. Could someone say amen? amen. And then uh, I got to get through this. Love does not delight in evil. Uh, and evil is unrighteousness. You should never delight in unrighteousness. How many Christians are there that go to comedy clubs and sit out and laugh? And you know, you know most comedians, everything that comes out of their mouth is foul mouth. And we say, really? You are delighting in unrighteousness. I, I, I read the movie. I, I read the book, Fifty Shades of Grey. I can't wait. That movie's coming out. I wonder how many Christians read that book. I wonder how many Christians are going to go see that movie. It, it's not Fifty Shades of Grey. It should be called Fifty Shades of Immorality. And when you read that and watch that, you are delighting yourself in unrighteousness. And I don't care who you are. I don't care. I mean, the sitcoms that are on television, the movies that are produced today, as Christians, true love would never rejoice or delight in anything that even comes close to being unrighteous. But we rejoice with the truth. Anything that's truthful, anything that's of God, anything that is pure, Anything that is holy, we as a church should rejoice. And verse 7, it always protects. That's the mother. You ever seen the kid in a, in a court, a trial in court? He's done a hundred things wrong, and everyone in the courtroom knows this kid's guilty, but there's always one person up there in the courtroom just standing by his side. Who is it? It's his mama, because mama only knows how to love his boy. That's what that means. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Uh, it's, it knows that joy is coming no matter how bad the situation is. You just, you, you true love, you just got to believe that something good is going to happen. And that's love always perseveres. That's the person that there's a rope and there's a knot at the end of the rope and that's the person just holding on. Everybody else is giving up. They're, everyone else is giving up on the marriage. But you, you just keep believing. I know your spouse is a wreck. 
I know no one gives it a chance in the world, but you just keep holding on because you know that God can do a miracle. That's the person who perseveres. Love always perseveres. Now, number three in your notes, which is the most important, your life is supposed, it's supposed to model not the love of God, but the God of love. You are to model God. The Bible says in verse 8, love never fails. And the only thing that I know that never fails is God. The leaf or the flower that falls begins to wither and decay and it dies. God's love never decays. God's love never fails. God's love never dies. That's why Paul prayed to the church at uh, Ephesus in chapter 3 verse 18 that his prayer, his prayer was for the church that somehow they could grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And it's wide enough. His love is wide enough to cover all of us. It's long enough that there's no place you can run to outdistance yourself from the love of God. It's high enough in that God this very moment is in heaven preparing your heavenly home. And it's deep enough that no matter, no matter who you are, no matter how much engaged in sin you are, His love can reach to the lowest person here today. I want you to write this down quickly, these three things. God is love. God loves you. And we're to love others. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God loves you. Okay. And therefore, you and I are supposed to love one another. John 13, there aren't 10 commandments. Someone said there's 11. So what do you mean there's 11? Well, because of John 13, it says, Jesus said, a new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Take your Bible quickly and turn to 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4. I want to ask you a question quickly. How long ago did God come to earth in the form of a baby? the incarnation. How many years ago? 2,000 years, roughly. When he, when he came, how long was he here? 33 years. And when he showed up 2,000 years ago for just 30 years, 33, where'd he show up at? Bethlehem. Where, is, where in the world is Bethlehem? It's on the other side of the globe. What we know today is Israel. Jesus spent most of his time in about a 30-mile radius. He came to earth 2,000 years ago, and he was only here for 33 years, and he spent his whole time in about a 30-mile radius? Exactly. Okay, so today we have 7 billion people on this planet. What is the plan to reach those 7 billion people? Well, we have to realize that God is love that he loved us and the plan is that we would love one another and when people when we love one another that somehow people would understand that God is a God of love I want you to look at first John chapter 4 as we close I got to read through this quick verse 7 dear friends let us love one another for love comes from who comes from God everyone who loves 
has been born of God and knows God. You can't, you, you, you can't love anything or anybody unless you understand the love of God. Verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. You cannot shoot a plane down with 300 innocent people and know who God is. You can't really abort a child and know who God is. God is love, and the only way we can love each other is if we know God. And the the end of that verse says, because God is what? That's my first point. God is love. Verse 9. Now, this is how we know God showed his love. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. How do we know he loved us? Because he, what, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for, okay, I got it. God is love and he loves me. He sent Jesus into the world for, good, I got that. But it's that third point, that we're to love others. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us. We also ought to do what? Now love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Well, how is the world going to be one if they've never seen God? If we love one another, agape love, then God lives in us and his love is made what? Complete. You see, it's not about how much money you've given to the building. It's not about how many spiritual gifts you have and how you can wow people with your abilities. It's not about any of those things. It's not about how smart you are and you, are, you know exactly how many angels dance on the head of a pen. Well, good for you. I'm glad you have that knowledge. It's not about that. It's about loving your enemies forgiving 70 times 7. It's about praying for those who persecute you. It's about turning the other cheek. It's about serving people who don't look like you, who don't act like you. It's Jesus washing the feet of the man named Judas who's about to betray him. It's about caring for those who are hurting and loving the unlovable and befriending those who are steeped in sin, where no one else wants to deal with them, but we love them. And when we love them, they go, well, why, 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 why are you helping me? Because God helped me. God loved me. So now I'm loving you. And that's how the world's going to be one. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. 
You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. We're literally being overwhelmed with information. That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing, Rediscover a Simpler Faith in Our Complicated World. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of Scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, One Thing. These Scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today. And get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at this same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.